Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Guinness World Record holding Fondazi Fire. That's right, everybody. This is a Fondazi Fire show, and it is the show where we ask the question, what do you want? Now, normally the answer would be more fire, but since this is a podcast, tonight the answer is more stage building. I am your host, Adam the Rambaro Soko, and with me as always is my lovely and beautiful wife, Katie Mighty Mouse Matryoshka. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And joining us is Chris Meese. Hey. The resident handyman of Fondazi. And as always, Teresa, our producer, who's amazing and wonderful. Hello. Hey there. <laughs> I like the, the voice changer, Teresa. Yes, thank you. Special producer voice. I like it. Yes. <laughs> I want you guys to understand that you're doing something very wrong right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best place to start with the stage building process is the very first time that Fondazi built this stage. Now, this is before my time, so I'm going to hand it off to Chris to explain how we first generated our ambiance. Well, you know, when we first started, Teresa and I dragged the group together and we got hired by festival, but we were a living stage at just out in the street and we really wanted to have a backdrop. So we decided to build a couple of wagons, uh, some, some Vardos, uh, Romani travel wagons. And um, my father was very instrumental in helping us with this as we had a truck <laughs> uh, to help move said things and materials, uh, which I didn't. And uh, so uh, he volunteered uh, his garage and his vehicle to help us get started. And so we designed them to actually fit in the back of his truck. Uh, kind of like a pickup camper. I acquired actually pickup camper jacks to be able to lift things out of it uh, and make them very transportable. Uh, unfortunately, after he sold that truck, they never fit. In <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they ended up on trailers, but that's down the road. So, you know, we, we came up with a design and drew our own after researching a lot of photos. Uh, we pulled our group together and it was kind of all hands on deck back then. Um, my dad and I built the frames and locked all the frames together. Somewhere I've got a really great picture. I'll see if we can get it in here for the show notes for our uh, uh, Patreons. So they can see the skeletons of our uh, wagons. Mm. Very spooky. Um, and so basically we got the shells put together and then everybody came over to help us do the final touch-ups and trim and do all the painting. And... Uh, opening day of festival we rolled them out there and we stood them up i had been scouring farm fields and farmsteads all over central minnesota and picked up all kinds of metal wagon wheels from everything from manure spreaders and dump rakes and all kinds of derelict old farm equipment that made them look like wagon wheels and we propped them up on axles and dropped them on there and they sat there for years uh, so that was that was the genesis of our first stage which was out on the street at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival uh, over by the fencing booth area. And uh, we held court there for two years. Yeah, I believe the there's now acro uh, acrobat-type performances over there. Yes. Now. It's uh, the Dragon 
Theater. Also, in also a with a wagon. And uh, we yep. set a good yep. precedent. What goes around comes around. I remember from when we were building the Vardos in the driveway, it was a little bit like a frying pan. You were saying that it, it was really hot while you guys were painting and finishing these Vardos? Yes. I just remember dying of the heat. On top of Vardos, putting roofs together. Oh, say, that was what I remember, too, is getting on top of the Vardo and helping to to get it to be nice and flat and curved. And we were on top of the Vardo. And like you said, it was so hot. Yes. It's miserable. That sounds lovely. Yeah, well, it was July, you know, before <laughs> yes. festival. Opened. Right. Yeah. So, you know, out in the noon sun, roof decking and painting. And- I think that's where we started the tradition of painting things as they rolled onto festival site and like in between shows while they were on festival site painting is kind of uh, (laughs) not our strong suit (laughs) no but we've painted a lot at that stage oh gosh we have do we just do it kind of late (laughs) yeah well i think that's just the way of the theater oh gosh as i as i've noticed as i've immersed myself with the theater community the show is never ready until someone says all right the show goes on now yeah and even then the show's been going on for a week, guys. <laughs> I, can, I, I know that, like, Argentina, Adam, you had to tell me it's ready. And I'm like, no, it's not. You're like, no, it's ready. I'm like, no, no, it's not. Adam is the ready guy. He keeps telling me when things are ready because otherwise I'm like, no, it's not. It's got to be ready at some point. But if I could just change it's already ready already. a little bit. So after the Vardos were over by the fencing booth, the next stop was for you guys to go over to the Robin Hood stage, correct? You mean the Fondazi stage? The Fondazi stage. Yes. Yeah, sure That's what I thought I heard. <laughs> and make it the Fondazi stage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> we got we got moved over there. Um, David Pippo, who was the entertainment director at the time, had us audition the fire show, which we had started. And uh, he suggested that we would do much better on a stage and uh, invited us to take part on the Sherwood stage. And the Vardos came with, right? We moved to Sherwood stage, brought our Vardos with us. Because we discovered early on that the Vardos are a very useful place to store not only our things that we need to have near the stage, but to have a place to cool down out of sight of the audience and in a comfortable space. And there were children with us from the very start. I was about to say, yes, children was also a good place to store in the Vardo. Yeah. <laughs> store in those children. Just store children. Stack them like logs. Did you guys make any modifications to the Sherwood stage the first year that you were there? Uh, the first year we were there, I built the side staircase because the only staircase off the stage was that ladder-like one that goes into the wagon or the Vardo on the That's stage. Right. Oh. And so there was no access from the side, just that rickety and ladder. And your feet don't fit on that. <laughs> And and that ladder looks like it's going to fall apart at any moment. And, and it's looked like that the entire time we performed there. Yes. I have no idea why it's still standing. Well, I rebuilt it once. Oh, there you go. But yeah, it's... It's decorative now. Half rotten. It's, yeah, well, it works. That's <laughs> yes. where you put your foot. Yes. Yes. You should ask Raiderly how, if it still works, as she's hauling bass drums up and down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she'd say otherwise. But yeah, so I, I built the side staircase um, so that we could enter and exit with burning props without oh, yeah, for safety. Because not only does that little ladder not accommodate going on and off the stage quickly, it also walks into the doorway of the stage Vardo with no way to get on the stage except for a little narrow walk path. So it, it wasn't good. Um, ironically, it's a little bit 
different now uh, because the Vardo is actually sitting on the stage, whereas opposed to the old stage before they rebuilt it itself, uh, it was behind the stage. It was a freestanding wagon um, that was just kind of up on blocks. But it's still the same ladder. They put it back on. <laughs> so, and they saved my staircase and put it on the new stage. So we, we still have a That's side still staircase. the side staircase that you built all those years ago? Wow. Good work, Dave. It is. Nice. It's nice and Thanks. sturdy. I also built the staircase that goes up the front of the stage, or goes towards the front of the stage. So both sides staircases. Nice. Uh, so yeah, stairs were fun. Uh, we built the partition walls so that uh, people sitting over by the pond can't see but backstage. We didn't. We're we didn't build the partition wall until we came back from B Gate. Yep. Yep. Oh, you're right. I'm getting yep. ahead of myself. So, so what else did we do, modify, modification wise? Um, we moved the fence again. Again, that was after B Gate. Yep. Was it really? Yeah, yep. we, we moved. Okay, we moved well, yeah. the we moved the fence and we so, built the partition wall at the same time. I remember because my buddy Mikey God. was up from Illinois to help us do that. Yes, and no, he wasn't up here got to it. help us do that. He was up here visiting, <laughs> and you were like, "Guess what? We're gonna go. Do? We're gonna go do some manual labor." Thankfully, Mikey is uh, the kind of guy you want to do manual labor with. You should right. know that if you visit friends in the Midwest, that there will be manual labor involved in your visit if you're long enough. It's true. Well, he he was in the navy. Oh yeah, perfect. So he he understood manual labor, and he I believe dug that trench faster than all of us, and we just stared at him like, huh. And I, the trench is now built. Thank you. I believe it was also blazing hot out. Nice. It was because we like to do things in the blazing hot sun. <laughs> well, it's always blazing hot because we're always doing stuff in July, <laughs> right before starting in yep. August. So all right, shall we circle back to B Gate? Hottest part. Of yeah, we can circle back to B Gate. <laughs> yeah, so we spent a couple years on on. Sherwood stage. And then uh, Robin Hood was vacant at that point. They were not there. Uh, it was between Robin Hoods even, I think. Um, it was us. It was Taste Like Burning, which was another fire show that was run by Dane. Um, and then it was Sisters of the Sahara, I believe, at that point, uh, a belly dance group. Yep. And uh, one year, the Robin Hood show came back and they need to have the pond. Uh, and at basically management said, well, we overbooked the stage. You guys have wagons and you started on the street. Can you guys go back there? And that was basically where they left it. Um, I appealed to the site manager and asked for some stage flats from the Halloween show, which I had worked the previous fall. And so I happened to know there was a big stack of them over in the big storage barn that they have. And so we got in a truck and went and got a bunch of flats and we bolted them together during cast call of opening Saturday and stood it up on some legs. We went and got some burlap from site crew because they wrap everything they don't want seen in yep. burlap, uh, which is yes. very flammable. Very much. Um, <clears throat> we were forever putting the front end for stage out, but you know, it, it covered the underside of the stage and made it look dressy. So yeah, we built our stage over by B gate the morning of opening weekend that year. Yeah, because I don't think that they actually had a place picked out for us until that moment. I think that we found out very late in the game that we weren't going to be on the stage, Sherwood stage. It was like the week before. Yeah, was, we had no time. And we had to move the Vardos too, which we've told the story in a previous episode about paying the, the friends from the campground and beer to help push <laughs> the Vardos across site. I was just a volunteer at this point, so I just watched yes. in awe. Of what, what was going on? What have I gotten into? Yeah. 
Like we were over there and now we're over here. And one of my favorite parts about the 2009 year was our backstage. Oh, yeah. That we was built a great. yurt. That summer, Christopher and I had built a yurt together where we were staying. And uh, when we found out that the whole stage thing was not going to happen the way it was supposed to, we brought the yurt with us out to festival to have as a backstage space. We put it up on the knoll behind the cannon. It was the best and exhausting backstage ever because you had to walk up the big hill to get to it. But yeah. once you were there, it was amazing. It was really nice. Was. There were so many good yurt naps. I know, right? Oh. I know. I kind of wish we still had a yurt because it would be amazing backstage. Too. But just have to take uh, down the fairy wing forest. Goals for another day. Yeah. We just need to build a platform, a, <laughs> a platform out into the fairy wing forest, and then we can put go. a yurt on it. And that would give us better access to throw grapes go. at people. <laughs> Nobody throws grapes at people. No, those are the fairies, Katie. That's the right, fairies right. are the ones that throw grapes. <clears throat> yeah, those are fairy eggs. <laughs> <laughs> So we were over at Beagate for just one season, correct? And then we moved back over to the Sherwood stage. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, that would, they moved us back in a hurry. We had grown to the point where we could stop a pretty fair-sized crowd, and that was the entrance to the special events area. That, and so everybody would come through and stop, and they would block the access, and nobody would go to the special events because they would stand there and watch yep. the show. And so they, they wanted us out of the way back mm. on a stage. Because they they realized we could. I just remember that was also the first year. There was a two first. It was the first year that I contributed to uh, something to the stage. I made that sandwich board that had uh, our show times on it because we had no we had no placard to show when our shows were. Mm -hmm. No signage. signage. So I built the the Fondazi fire sign that you can still see at the back of the audience. uh, That still has our show times on it. Still comes around. And then uh, we started making buttons that first year, that year, in 2009. Teresa, you were instrumental in that. Yes. That's right. The Fondazi Fan Club. That was the original yeah. Fan, club fan Club Good old fan club. And we have a fan club that's running now over on Patreon. Thank Yay. you, Fondazi Fan Club. We love you. Thank you. All these years, we've always loved you. Thanks. <laughs> and then when we, moved, when we moved back, that was when we noticed that the the fence needed to be moved because the backstage was slowly eroding behind Sherwood stage. Right, and we needed to make sure. Yeah, so most people have ever been back there. There's a hole through the fence and then a goat path over some rocks with a cliff next to you, and then there's kind of a point where it widens out where a few people can sit. And there's two wagons that were already there at the festival. They've been there for decades. Um, probably 30 years or more. Uh, one of them has since moved away, the yellow one, but the blue one that has all our uh, extra stage gear in it is kind of static. The fence is actually built around it at this point. Um, but the fence that was behind the yellow Vardo had all this room behind it between the Vardo and the, the fence. And so it was just being wasted. So we thought, why not? Um, we, we dug up the fence post, disconnected the fence, and shoveled it over about three feet and reset the post and some concrete and put the fence back on, and nobody ever said anything. And move a metric ton oh. of wood chips oh. as well. Yes. Move, 
all the wood chips from the entire festival come down the hill when it rains, so they all pile up. Yep. Against our yeah, fans. if anybody takes a look at that, it's, it's about yeah, two if you feet take deep. a look at the blue vart or the sound vart that's still there, and you notice that the wagon wheels are half buried, it's not because the vardo sank, it's just because all the wood chips came down and buried it. So we gained a few extra feet of backstage. We uh, changed up the rickety old tarp that used to be the dry area and actually put up our carport. Uh, oh yeah, that was when we changed. I forgot that it used yep. to be just a tarp. It was a tarp for a few years we were there, but it kept, yeah. I mean, it just didn't last and it always dripped and leaked. And yep. we have far outgrown that little tiny space that was back there. We used to fit everybody under an eight foot tarp or maybe 10. It wasn't big. Um, and, you know, so when it rained, we all crowded under there with all the musicians and the belly dancers and, you know, trying to stay dry. And, you know, now we've got a 30 foot carport back there. I think that's the second carport. Um, was it our first carport? Did it die a yes, glorious death? Yes, it did die the most storm? glorious death of coming flying over the, uh, the Vardo into the audience during an Uber show. And then it started, and immediately yes. after it, after the audience cleared out, it started downpouring. Yeah. Didn't, wasn't that the same storm where it like almost picked up the merch booth? And like, oh, yeah. people had to oh, grab Asole in the mer yeah. merch booth because she was trying to get it to stay down. She had both of the. She has two yes. umbrellas on the back of, and the back of the stage where our merchandise is sold. For those who don't know, there is a um, nice little. I don't even know what to call it. Like kind of like a desk that you. It's a kiosk. A kiosk. Cart kiosk. Cart kiosk. Cart kiosk. <laughs> um, that Adam built, and she Soleil had two umbrellas on there, so it was quite. It was never designed to have those umbrellas. <laughs> no, but they looked good. Yeah, and it had some, it had good, some lift, good lift. So that also started to come. Butter up. and hover bar. <laughs> <laughs> we just fetched that. Yep, I built the cart kiosk the first year that we went back to Sherwood Stage, actually, because we needed yep. a place to sell merchandise. And, but that was not the, the year that we got the oh. addition. Actually, no, let me take that back. That's not correct. The cart kiosk that sits at the back of Fondazi now. It was actually a prop table initially. Oh, that's right. It was the first prop table that I built because oh, we yes. got tired of storing all the props on the ground. Right. And you <laughs> built the prop table, and then eventually we got the lockers. Then we got the lockers, yep. Yeah, and we put lockers on the back of uh, the Sherwood stage to store everything overnight. We've now gotten a second set of lockers back there. Right, so you can lock everything up. Yep. And then... I built a new prop table, and then the cart kiosk got rebuilt again. Yep, and we did a remodel on the on the Vardos a few years back. Mm -hmm. We uh, took them off of their farm wheels and put them on trailers, mm -hmm. which made them far more portable. Um, we we decided to sacrifice a little bit of the authenticity for ease and comfort and portability. Um, we uh, put skirting and toolboxes on the sides uh, because they are what's called a ledge wagon, and now they more closely resemble a Redding wagon, uh, which has just the full tapered sides. Um, so they got roof repairs, they got toolboxes and a fresh paint job and new trim and uh, a few uh, interior modifications on some of them. And So we're going to remodel ours again on the inside is needs to be a little bit more comfortable and our kids aren't small enough to just all sit on a single bunk that was in there we need to put in an actual table 
because yeah, that'd be cool. we have a, a design for benches and a table that can fold down and become a bed. And we threw a little bit of insulation inside of ours and then put the fiberboard on the walls to make it look a little bit more chic and also retain some coldness as it can. Um, it actually at yes. times can retain a lot. The kids call our Vardo the cold Vardo. They do. <laughs> and they know they get yelled at when they turn off the AC in our Vardo. I'm pretty sure it's only cold when the little kids are in there because they open the door and let all the coldness out before we get in there. <laughs> now, Chris actually had classes for building authentic Vardos Which once upon a time. I did. Um, these aren't that. Um, these were, <laughs> no. as I said, made more expedient for dress purposes and, and use at festival. But um, I got to go to the Port Townsend School of Woodworking in Port Townsend, Washington. Um, I don't know if he's still there, but there was a fine woodworking master there named Jim Tolton. He's, he's written any number of books on woodworking. Um, yeah, a fantastic man. Himself and, and his uh, partner offered this class on traditional wagon building and uh, it, it was amazing to go sit through that class and do some of the stuff we learned how to steam bend and yeah so you know we learned the different styles of the wagons we learned the construction processes um, I actually have a very good friend that went to that class with me who's building one in a traditional style right now um, all of his joinery is hand cut there's no fasteners it's all wood joinery um, it, it looks amazing um, all the craftsmanship he's put into it. Uh, I would love to be able to do something like that, but it's a huge amount of time. Katie? Didn't you make a traditional uh, bardo like that with Caitlin? Um, or for, with? Yes and no. Okay. Oh, okay. She, she made another camper style one. We built that for her to, to camp and hit the road in. Um, it was, it was, Built like a tank because she built it with two by fours. Yeah, she um, she had it for sale a couple of years ago, and we really tried. We thought about it and looked into it, but we just couldn't afford what they wanted for it, which I totally understand because it's you know handmade, custom, and whatnot. But it was beautiful. It weighed a million pounds. It was on a two axle trailer. I mean, it was huge. Man, it would have been beautiful on site. We could have stayed there overnight. Just saying. Well, she lived in that on the road. I know we could have lived on the road there too. It's all right. We have plans for a new one. You also built a cart kiosk, cart kiosk thing for uh, the Core the Twins, correct? I did, yeah. I built them a, a merchandise cart. It looks like a little Vardo. Um, the sides open up and they display all their wares. And then they've got some storage inside. It's kind of three-quarter size or maybe half size. It's not not huge. It's, it's kind of a scale version of one, but uh, it's adorable. If I have time before next festival, I'll build one for us, and we can have that be our new merch cart. That'll be awesome. Then we'll have another uh, prop table. <laughs> right. We need another prop table back there. One of the other things that we've done to Sherwood Stage is putting the apron onto the front of the stage to make it pretty much double the size. Yeah, that one came down from the top. Uh, Tom Blazy, who does a lot of the site work, um, there's a lot of the specialty stuff. He works a lot of the stages. Uh, came forward and said, hey, we're building this. Uh, anybody want to help? And then he specifically called me and said, you're going to help. <laughs> so, um, we all showed up and helped frame it out. We weren't real happy about it initially just because 
we didn't know how we were going to use it. Um, it turns out to be one of our favorite spaces because our band sits there now, uh, and it makes them way more accessible to the audience. But uh, yeah, we, we spent, I don't know, two weeks building that thing. A group of people between the building and the painting and all the prep work. Yeah, and then you built the place for the band to sit, right? I did. Um, I built that for, it was kind of for everybody. It was a box. They put their amps and speakers in it. Um, unfortunately, nobody from Psychic put it away, and we didn't know we were supposed to, so it got left out over the winter, and it died. So it was beautiful, and it died. So, yeah, front extension. We built that out, about, again, probably two weeks before festival. We don't like to get things done ahead of time too much. I like to get those things done right before festival opens, if at all possible. So, did Chris help you uh, build the trailer, the first Fantasy trailer? Yeah, that was, uh, we started doing more shows on the road. My brother gave me a little pickets, picket fence sided trailer. Uh, I think it's like four by six. So not, not very big. And we used that initially to bring all of our props all the way to Michigan, which is the picket sides and a tarp over everything. Uh, but we quickly realized there had to be a better way. So Chris and I spent a weekend in the backyard putting four, four sides on it and a, and a roof. So it became a little the black box that rocks. Yep. Keep, all the, keep all the props in there. And we use that and have that. We still have it. We just still don't use it. it because it's now too small for the amount of fire <laughs> that we bring places. So now we have a very much bigger event. Now we have a larger <laughs> Yes, it is a little bit larger. It's five by seven. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And we immediately filled it up. And now we're talking about all right, as soon no, as no, I filled it up. No, no, we are not talking about Now we're about talking it. about raising no, some funds you, for a new trailer. You and Brett are talking about, about Stealth trailers? Yes. No, if we're going to get any sort front? of trailer. Tapered front trailer with a front door and a side door no. and a back door. What we no. really need is an RV with a toy mm. hauler. A toy back hauler. Hey. What we really need is a large smoker that we can just bring with us. So I'm hearing an RV with a smoker on the back. Yes. Yes. Okay, we need two RVs. One has a smoker. The other one has a toy hauler. Good, good And then call. we're set. Yeah. The Fondazi fleet. And then we just have a bunch of Vespas inside for getting around <laughs> town wherever we end up. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know, Chris, it just occurred to me that during the weekend that we were all that we were building. We were moving the fence and building that little uh, partition fence. Wasn't that also the same weekend that you built the prop box for Extinguished Chain? Yes, I think it is. So we don't really talk about our prop box very much, do we? No, let's let's tell everyone what our prop box is. So we're, we're on version 2.0 at the moment, but the prop box is a plywood box with partitions inside of it that are sized to hold our various fire props. Uh, the initial one we lined with tile, and the, the premise is that we put a flaming prop in there and close the lid and it goes out because you don't have time to wrap it in a towel. You don't have time to blow it out. You can't use a fire extinguisher on everything, and we need things to go out fast so that the next props can move without starting a whole pile of stuff on fire. I'm so, going to post a picture on Patreon of this prop box, by the way. 
Nice. Sure. So the initial one, I don't know, we used it forever. Um, it was really yeah, heavy. Particle used, board, particle it, board, tiles. Yeah, it was OSB and filled with tile. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it was heavier. It was than, so heavier heavy. Than yeah, it was no it was handles. Super heavy. No handles. Had hinges. <laughs> um, yep. And it works great. So if you're in the audience and you hear slam, that's a prop <laughs> box closing. Um, the yeah, it used to have locks and everything on it, right? It did. We used to be able to lock props in there, but we quickly realized that we rarely needed to do that because we had too many props. Right. It's it's actually what's uh, responsible for our staves being able to hold more and more wicks on them. Because yeah, it we went, just put them in the box and they go out. Yeah. Because after the box, we went from single wick staff to a double wick staff, and now we're up to hexstaphicles. Which was not funny. It's hilarious. It's amazing. <laughs> okay, so how hexstaphicles <laughs> came about, story, is uh, you and Brett were backstage one day and joking around, and I don't know who, which of you suggested it, but hey, wouldn't it be funny if we just added an extra wick before the Mises went on stage? I believe that was Brett's idea. I do believe the entire time I was saying, guys, that's not a good idea. <laughs> guys, and he's now our safety guy. Just, you know, to clarify that he decided to be funny to put more fire on a prop that people hadn't rehearsed with before they went on stage. And I gave him lots of looks, but I trusted Chris's in my skill. That's right. But I initially cool. said no, honestly. I was like, no, we shouldn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, we should definitely do that. Because I knew you guys could handle it. <laughs> well, Teresa, if it makes you feel any better, he told me that he was telling people at his theater that he worked at what, what he had done, and they were giving him this horrified, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing that look. And he was like, what? Isn't it funny? I'm like, see, dude, like normal people don't think that's funny. I mean, well, I, I admit, because I love you, I didn't think it was funny, but there was a part of me that thought it was hilarious. But I love you more than I think it is hilarious. Oh, no, I, I laugh at really horrible ideas all the time, but- Doing them is the line between <laughs> practical thought, right? not practical thought. But the other thing is that now that I've had this whole um, personality assessment that states very clearly that I need time to adjust to change, that I need to just show that to Brett and be like, you can't tell me that something's going to change two seconds before I walk on stage because I'll be grumpy. I will do it, but I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> I really think Alafandazi needs to take an assessment. I think we do. They're so useful. They are very useful. But yeah, we should do that. All right. Mm-hmm. So so the prop box brought around Hextaphicles and yes. uh, and other props too, because we were able to put, as you guys were saying, we we're able to put more props out in a quicker manner, which means that we can get back on stage. So really kind of changed the entire way we were doing the show because we were able to have more people on stage. We didn't have as many people backstage yep. extinguishing props. And we were able yeah, to move from number to number. Six people with poi and put them all out at the same time. Right. And we used to have to only have so many numbers on stage because we couldn't get on and off stage as fast. And now we're just whipping through some of them. We've added a song in the last like five years to our set list because we're able to move on and off stage so quickly. Right. That's true. <clears throat> and the old prop box has reemerged this last season. Uh, 2019 season because we needed more than one prop box because we ended up having so many staves on stage that it was splinters, it, it wasn't it? Facilitated. No, it was uh, oh. uh, what's it called? Hungarian folk. Hungarian yes, folk, Hungarian which is the working folk, yes. working title only. That's not going to be yep. on the CDS. <laughs> but yeah, we had so many things on fire. We needed to have two prop boxes. 
Yes. Which is also one reason why and an extinguisher. we weren't able to do it when we went down to Circus World. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we didn't have the second extinguished box. So we were only able to do a few. Uh, we weren't able to do that number. The second prop box was actually because of that uh, Vardo overhaul that Chris was talking about earlier. Uh, I I decided that it'd be nice since we we're thinking that we'd bring the Vardos on the road to have a prop box that fit into the Vardo on the sides, on those lockers on the sides. So that's where we came up with the second prop box. That's why it's shaped like a guitar case instead of a, uh, instead of the just rectangle. Rectangle. Yeah, it's made to fit around your wheel well. Well, let's dive into the props themselves then. Because we build a lot of our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, well, one of the one of the main reasons that we built the prop box was the stabs because stabs were by and far like one of the harder props to put out because and more dangerous because you have one two sides that are on fire you're trying to focus your attention on the one side that you're putting out and meanwhile the second side is six feet away from you potentially causing dangerous situations so the prop box was able to fit the stabs very nicely in it and put them out very quickly. Um, so that was Marishka was definitely one of the pieces that that was needed for because we had four stabs on the stage all at once. And Marishka was actually the first number that caused me to think that we needed all four identical stabs because before that, all the props were unique. So it was the first time we started building building our own props was Marishka. I'm sure some people built their own poi before. Am I right? Yeah, I think everybody had kind of their own poi. Um, I know we had done a workshop at one point where we made the cathedral wicks because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we made some new ones for people. And I know Katie rewrapped hers. Teresa rewrapped hers. Yep. Yep. Salsa made his own. Salsa made his own staff. Yeah. Yep. Salsa made his own staff. I think I- it was made out of copper. It was. It, it yep. was really heavy. And I, I had two different types of fans at this point. I think I had moved on to the second type of fan. Because I really wanted uh, collapsible fans when I originally started. So I was able to have collapsible fans out of a kind of a prototype that uh, somebody built for me. But they weren't quite working the way I wanted them to. So then we had a second fan built that you can open and close. Mm-hmm. And now we have two other one, two other ones. We have one other one, one other set of fans like that, right? We have two sets of collapsible fans. Yes, two sets of collapsible fans. We have the lo- We have one Lotus fan. We have two Chaos fans, right? Yep, and those yep. were bought because they were on clearance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs oh, more fans? Okay. We do. Yeah. We made all the fire fingers, which we haven't used recently. We retired nope. them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because they hurt really bad to put on and off. Uh well, there's. I that. mean. The, the the best that we could come up with for the fire fingers was because you want them to be able to come off easily if there's an emergency. Right. Yep. So I went through when I was following you around on one of your handyman purchasing expeditions and I was in the plumbing aisle with you and I just started putting plumbing fixtures on my fingers to see what fit. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a tapered copper plumbing flange thing it was a three-quarter to half-inch reducer. 
Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> See, he knows these things. And uh, that's what happened to fit my hands well. And Katie and I have the exact same size feet. So I assumed our hands are probably the same size too. And they were very close. I think we, so, we both had one one particular one that we liked on one particular finger. I know. It didn't it was hurt like, as bad. So bizarrely distinct because, you know, your knuckles are all unique. But it was hilarious watching us every time we put them on, identify whose was whose and eventually we got smart and we marked one of them so that I always knew that was mine and that eliminated a lot of the chaos. (laughs) So what else did we build? You built the, did you build your Uh, Did you see them both? Wait, wait. Did you see them both just look like, wow, you guys are high maintenance. Let's move on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I did kind of this. uh, Uh, They never hurt me once. I can say with utmost confidence. You never put them on. They never hurt me once. You never put them on. Yeah. If you don't try something, it doesn't hurt, Adam. Regardless. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We built, or I, I hired my brother to build the first set of rings that we had because we built that out of, uh, uh, reconditioned air conditioner parts also made out of copper. Nice. So yeah, we bent, we bent the circles and put the little, little tops on it. The second set of rings were built by my buddy, Jeff. He also built, uh, the palms for us. Yep. And Jeff is a machinist. So we were able to go, Hey, we want this to look like this and have this function. And he was able to come up with something for us, which was very awesome. And by the way, he's my friend, not right. yours. He's my friend first. Of course. He was your friend My first. friend Jeff. <laughs> My friend. Just saying. What else did we build? The belt, but we don't hoops? use those either. I, yeah, oh, hoops. the hula hoops, yeah. Yep. And we built the hoops because you ordered me a hoop. You were so excited to surprise me <sighs> with this hula hoop that he had bought me. It's and, a sore subject, but yeah. And uh, we got <laughs> it, and it looked like they had gone to Target and bought a five ninety nine hula hoop and put staves on it. Yeah. Was, and when you pay like 200 bucks for a hula hoop, you really want it to be something that's going to last you. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I don't even, you know, fortunately, I don't remember the name of the company, but I had to speak with them on the phone and they were saying they had no return policy. And I was like, well, you're going to need to have one now because I'm not keeping this thing. And they said, no, it's good. And I was like, it can't hold up to what we're going to do to it. I'm like, well, what do you do? <laughs> And when I explained how many shows we perform in rapid succession, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess you can send it back. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're really honored. Yeah. yeah. They they allowed me to send it back. Well, which Adam is... was very adamant that this thing wasn't going to hold up to five shows a day. Because at that point, I think we I was hooping in most of the shows. Yeah. So it was, yeah. It was, this is not going to hold up to five shows a day. And, you know, we do. Uh, you had figured out how many shows we had been doing in a season or a year. 75 and just for festival. Yeah. So it was. He was very. He was on the phone for quite a while with them. I, was, I remember because I was in the. I was in the parking lot of Home Depot. I was about ready to go in and buy the stuff to make the new hoop. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I need to get this resolved first before I go in there. And then, yeah, it. For anyone who's curious, the hula hoops are made out of irrigation tubing and lag bolts. They are super heavy duty. My hoops weigh between twenty and thirty pounds. You'd say. They're probably close to 20 pounds. So I know that I have had a few hoopers ask me why I don't do more tricks or why I don't throw the hoop in the air. It's because my my hoop weighs quite a bit. And while, yes, I lift weight, it weights. It's still very heavy and dancing around and then trying to throw the hoop in the middle of dancing around as you are also dancing in four other pieces. You really don't want to start doing a whole lot of tricks because you get very tired. Well, and even I would throw that hoop 
regularly at the beginning of the hoop number for you. And every time I threw it, it just terrified me because there's just so much centripetal force behind that. And if you release it at the wrong time, it's going in mm -hmm. the pond. Yep. <laughs> I think we've only hit each other. I, oh, I think I hit you once with it. But that wasn't even in the hoop. I mean, that was in Splinters, the piece that was brand new last year. Yep. Yep. Splinters and, uses all the rings. And the Everything that's circular. Mm-hmm. All the rings and all the hoops. Right. Yeah. Cuts. It's awesome. Yeah. And so, Teresa, you, you choreographed most of that. And I remember that Brett was hilarious because he came up to me and he's like, I know Teresa's doing this and I don't want to stop her, but I really want to hoop in this piece. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, it worked <laughs> out because the original choreography was for a variety of props. And then you were like, could you make it work with hoops and rings? And I was like, for two seconds, I was like, swear, 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 swear. And I was like, oh, actually, this will work fine. So then just changed it out and actually worked great because then we were able to split apart and you guys did Hungarian Folk, which was awesome too. And oh, love that song. A couple of the ideas that I'd had, like I was like, this is what I wanted to do in the other piece with this prop. And can we please make it work in this because it's going to look cool, I promise you. And fortunately, it it worked. The, um, the part where we go up front and we toss the staves back and all that was one of the things that I didn't want to let go of. So thank you for letting that slide into the other piece. Oh, you're welcome. There's been a lot of choreography that started in one number and ends up in another. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I love, I love the way that we work and you know, the honoring each other to like let things go and move and for the, you know, Starfleet, the good of all yep. <laughs> sort of make sure that things work together has been a really nice shift in our dynamic. It has been. You know, I'm real I've realized that I'm able to work with a lot of people when it comes to choreography, but um my husband is not one of them. Nope. So when we choreographed Argentina, it took quite a while for us to come up with stuff because we just argued the entire time. Which is bringing me into the rope torch. When we first saw the rope torch i looked at adam and said this is going to be we're going to need to get by this prop and it's going to be a tango and he was like okay so mm -hmm. once we got it then we realized we could do other things with it so then you had to take it apart to figure out how to make it so you can make a second one yeah well which is actually how most some of the more complicated props have been made uh i've never actually bought in a fire whip i've only made the fire whips that is true the first one dan Patton. Uh, well, I guess I bought it from him. I gave, I gave him some money. And then the next year I built, I built him an all new one and said, here you go, have this one. Um, but I reversed engineered the fire whip the same way. You just take it apart, write down everything that you found as you were taking it apart and then put it back together again, brand new. Did and they then teach you that in doctor school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's why we have anatomy. First thing. <laughs> How does that go back together? Uh, <laughs> oh no, I broke it. Uh, and now, and now I've modified the fire whips. They're they're more of a hybrid. They started out uh, like a traditional American bullwhip, and now they are more of an Australian stock whip style, kind of a hybrid. Can I tell that funny story about when we were on a road trip? Go ahead. Okay, so we went on a road trip to go oh, yes. visit my my dad in Idaho, and we come across this small town, and there's this 
do you remember what it was called? But it was like a. It was Dread Out. It was Jackson Hole. No, I know the town. I mean, like oh. the place. Oh no, it was just a tax shop. But Adam was, but he had been talking about getting a whip. So I'm like, let's stop and see if we can find a whip. And I had bright, like engine red hair. And Adam walks in, and we have these little kids, and then we have this little girl with us, and they're all staring at us very oddly. And you have the people coming in and talking to people. They know their first name. They're not paying because they have, you know, their accounts with them. And it's this very small town, lovely little community that we just stepped into because there was quite a few people in the store. And so Adam finds a whip and he asks if he can step outside and use it. And the guy kind of smirks and was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And I see the entire store go to the, the window to watch Adam. And Look they're, at this yokel trying and to crack a whip. Yeah, they're kind of talking about <laughs> he has no idea what he's doing. He's not going to be able to crack this whip or he's going to hurt himself. And they're talking like that plainly in front of me, not caring that I'm there. <laughs> um, but you go out there and you just start cracking the whip. You were doing all different kinds of cracks and things. And they all just were silent. <laughs> they didn't say anything. They were just silent. And then he came back and he's like, I think I'll take it. And the guy was like, Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's where I bought my first uh that was a that was a bull whip. And then I also found a army surplus store that c- carried parachute cord when we were in Idaho. Yeah, same trip. Yeah, same trip. But I just can't remember what state we were in. Oh, we were in Idaho at that point. Yeah. We were almost to the reservation. So yeah, it was an army surplus store and I bought a whole bunch of paracord because I knew you could make whips out of parachute cord, watched a video, reversed engineered. Uh made high made parachute cord whips first and then the fire whips came second and then i just kind of tinker around with the design trying to find the best because fire whips are a different animal they behave differently because they're soaked in fuel and you need you may or may not need a fire cowl on the handle there's a lot of debate out there whether they do any good and i would say not so much it's really how you handle the whip so yeah we've made we've made the whips we've made the the fire rings, the hula hoops, the staves, the yep. mini staves, the mini staves. I've gone through iteration. Oh, we got to talk about the fire cowls on the on the mini staves though, because that yeah. actually does work. Because yes. you guys have now engineered a different type of mini staff. Yeah, and the mini staves came along because I was tired of using staves that were de- designed by men who are six feet tall and have arm spans that go. Over much further than the women in the group who are all five foot six and shorter, five, seven shorter. Um, And so like doing some of the spins was not easy because not only are my arms not that long, but there's boobs and they get in the way of everything. And massive skirts. And massive skirts. And there's just so much wrong with life anyway so we had to make so, the staff so much shorter so she could yeah so i was like i was like please can we make right sized staves for my size and so chris and i got some broom handles and we cut them apart and then we got some just regular rope and we tried a new weave to see how that would work because i was watching some videos for different ideas with staves and i saw this weave chris can you want to talk about that it's it's a rope weave to make the, the the head of the staff, the the wick, instead of using flat Kevlar, the instead of the two inch flat that we use, right? We, we use rope, and right. so we actually did a woven head that it's. I don't know, I There's the more one. surface area that is exposed to yeah. the air, so that you get a bigger flame. And it's on this head, and it's they also amazing. look really cool. Yeah, they, yeah, they do, and they're very um, hot. Yes, they they're are hot staff. And so, so for our Patreon users, 
we have a, I put up a video a couple of weeks ago of the two of you um, when we were in Nebraska and you were trying them for the first time. Yep. So and that's that what was those, when the video was of our first prototype of the uh, silicone disc to keep the fire from licking back up the staves because there's so much fire that it it rolls right up the staff. And um, I'd seen another video with a fire performer that had little silicone discs just below the heads of his staves to keep the blowback from the heat. And the first discs that we used were, what were those? Those They were, were like silicone uh, um, cupcake like ramekin crimp. Crypt little baking dishes. Yeah, yeah. They were like little um, cupcake things. Yeah. yeah. And they melted. <laughs> yes. They were not actually rated for that high of heat. And so I found some industrial grade silicone on Amazon and we cut those to the correct shape and then sewed them on there with Kevlar thread and silicone glued them into place, which of course, like everything else, we did the day before festival opened. And so some of the silicone glue did not hold as well. We probably should just take some time, some leisure time and fix those before we use them again, and really get them set in place. But they worked great for that. They season. worked amazingly. You know, it, it's yeah. enough buffered that the fire moves away from your hand. It doesn't run up the center of the staff. Yep. Um, like it's want to, because you can, you can hold it wrong and it'll run right up the rod of the staff, right to your hand. So, I mean, Hexstaff well, I mean, go right to the middle. Yeah, yeah. And it does. It's like the Marishka staff. If you watch them doing Marishka when they're holding the staffs straight up and down, you can just watch that fire. It climbs right up the metal. Well, it seems to me that most of the creations that we've come up with, both stage design and also prop designs, start with creativity, but they also start from a place of safety. Uh, you know, even as early as putting the stairs on the stage just to make it more safe for people to get on and off. And also the way we design the prop box and the props, the cowls on the fire staves, all of it revolve around safety. And the safer we are backstage and on stage, the more fire that we can definitely bring onto the stage as well. If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, pop on over to Patreon and look for Fondazi Fire. If you have any questions or show ideas for us in the future, anything you want to know, then email us at Fondazi at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to Fondazi Fire Presents. What do you want on your favorite podcast platform?